This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Gabby Barr, and I am here with Mr. Greg Crumpton. Greg, how are you today? Gabby, I am doing really well. I've been out picking some weeds this morning, so I had a little bit of time in the garden to kind of think through what we're talking about. Uh, our fun guest, who I've come to, to know really in the last year, and I uh, really appreciate what he is doing for so many different avenues, but most of them educational and most of them skilled trades related. And uh, just a cool guy, uh, so grounded and funny, and uh, it's going to be a blast. So after weed picking, a good shower, I'm ready to rock and roll. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I would like to introduce today's guest, Clifton Beck. He is the manager of digital media at ESCO Institute. Clifton, how are you doing today? I am doing absolutely wonderful, except for the fact that I would have loved to have joined you out in that garden. That is, (laughs) boy, is that a place to find peace? Yeah, Um, it is. Um, the wife is out of town with uh, one of our dogs is having a little surgery. So me and the crazy poodle were out there just bobbling around mm-hmm. doing our thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, so I don't know, you know, you read about different things that the earth produces and kind of getting grounded back to earth. And for some reason, uh, picking my, so I have a lot of squirrels and a lot of oak trees yeah. and mulch mm-hmm. and those things don't go together. So the the oak trees are always trying to burst through the mulch. Uh, oh yeah. So it's it's a good place to be. But nonetheless, really do uh, appreciate you taking time with us today, Clifton. You you uh, are doing some really cool stuff um, in the industry, as I mentioned, skilled trades, education, all the things that are important uh, to this podcast, usually and me uh, by happenstance and. Before we get going, why don't you give us a little bit of history about you and how you came to be uh, the manager of everything digital at ESCO and kind of what you do every day? Boy, how much time have we got? Let's do the abbreviated (laughs) version. Oh, my goodness. You know, you and I talk so much about like relationships and opportunities and how relationships lead into opportunities. And I would say that that is that's really been my life. Um, especially my, my career, you know, I actually like now that I'm starting to get back into the media side, which has only been for like the last five years, five or six years, I started kind of there. So I was real big into, um, to music and to kind of entertainment. So I had a mobile DJ business from the time I was 14 up until my early twenties. And I actually went to Indiana state for a year for TV, radio, film. I thought, Hey, you know, I like doing this. This would be my gig. And it, it just, it wasn't. I'd taken an internship at Pfizer Pharmaceuticals um, on that summer after my first year. And that introduced me into the world of mechanics. Right? Really? So I was always, like you, I was always tinkering with everything. I just didn't know what that looked like as a career. And so I took an intern at, at Pfizer. And uh, man, at the, at the end of my little internship, they offered me a full-time gig on a rotating swing shift. Um building and constructing mobile labs inside the oh, factory. Cool. Yeah. So like, uh, so some of the first things that I made was Alatame. So I was on the first production team that manufactured Alatame or Aspartame and 
uh, worked with polydextrose. And so we would bring in and we bring in different components. And so we would build like our own labs inside. So it was like a micro movable lab. So everything was mechanical. You were learning electrical, you were learning plumbing, you were learning, you were constantly working with a variety of different components. And then I was hooked. That was it. And so then I end up getting into the trades as I know it today. So plumbing, HVAC, I'm married into a refrigeration and HVAC, small family refrigeration HVAC business. And that's where I spent most of my time is in refrigeration, a lot of grocery refrigeration and small like restaurants, mom and pop shops. Uh, that was my lifeblood schools. So, uh, I, you know, I did the work for like six different school corporations in my area. So I was able to work at the schools that my kids went to school to. And oh, so, cool. oh, it was amazing. And, you know, the relationships, you know, those building those foundational relationships that, uh, you know, it wasn't just that I was there working on equipment. I was there getting to know everyone. So I was having lunch with the lunch ladies and the lunch ladies were going, hey, your your son's time frame is X. You want to stay here a little bit longer and you guys can hang out and have lunch together and it brought me into like this little, the world of HVAC. And so at a, at a young age in my career, I started realizing the benefits of friendships and relationships and where that can take you. And it just kind of kept evolving. And I, I, I didn't go to trade school. I did. I went to trade schools for classes, especially my local Ivy techs. I'd go back for, if I needed to get better at welding, I went back and I took a welding course. Right. Want to get better at you know, print reading. I go back and I do print reading classes. And ironically, those programs that I, I went to 20 some years ago are now just this year have all became HVAC excellence accredited programs. So it's like this, like there's a beautiful cool. circle. Yeah, no doubt, man. There's, you know, when you, when you think about that full trip around the sun and, and the people you run back into and the, <laughs> the, the groups you run back into, on your second tour of duty, so to speak. Oh my gosh. Yes. You don't. I think we don't appreciate, or I'll, I'll speak for me. I don't always appreciate the first time of anything, you know, like mm. because you're in the moment, yep. the first time, you know, I was thinking about it this morning. I was talking to a guy while I was weeding um, on the, uh, about the, uh, Columbus, Ohio. And the first time I remember going to Columbus, Ohio was for a Liebert uh, certification. Mm, for training. Yes. And, you know, it was cool. I was young. I was single. Uh, the Ohio State's close by. So it was, yep. it was a fun trip. Uh, I stayed for three weeks on a week and a half course. My, my boss never did figure that part out. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> I think as you go through experiences like that and then um my my great nephew in law i guess he is is he he's a trade superstar and uh, he's in the midst of going through a a a, a nice um uplift in his career right now mm-hmm. so i was thinking about him yesterday and then thinking about the uh, columbus ohio and when I remember sending him as an employee to Columbus, Ohio, for the Liebert certification, I was kind of flashing back to me going, yeah. you know, <laughs> 30, 30 years or earlier. How much more I appreciated the ability of what he was about to go learn uh, versus what I was able to learn in the moment. And I obviously still use a lot of those uh, skills and what have you that I learned on that trip. But 
it's just so cool to see it come back around and, you know, the people that, that were there and uh, those, those relationships that you talk about are so foundational. And the guy who was my instructor at that class wound up working for another OEM who I had the chance to catch up with last year, you know, so it's, it's so crazy, but crazy cool. Uh, no doubt. So you mentioned ESCO and we, we've uh, referred to it a couple of times. What, yeah. what is ESCO and give us a, give us the thumbnail on that. Exactly. So, you know, ESCO has been a staple of education and certifications and credentialing for decades. And it's primarily been focused for educators, right? They, they really focus on post-secondary vocational programs and uh, educator uh, performance, you know, educator credentialing, making sure that the programs are staying up to date, making sure that the the teachers that are teaching the programs know what's current. Because a lot of times when we go into educational realms, we're coming out of the field. That's how I got in myself. Right. I didn't even know that I'd be an educator. I had a recruiter reach out and go, hey, I think you're missing the bar and you're supposed to be a teacher and you don't know it. You want to go have a cup of coffee? I'll tell you more about that. I thought I'd be in the field my whole life. Right. Right. And so many of us make that transition from the from being a good technician into the classroom, whether it is at a, you know, a, a vocational program or whether as at a distributor training program, or even if you're a educator for a OEM, a manufacturer. Hmm. Right. So we make those transitions into the classroom. Uh, and then you're, you know, from the educational standpoint, you're handed a classroom, you're handed a program. Here's your keys here. Off you go. Have fun. Make sure that you're teaching things that you should be. And most of us don't know what that looks like. Right. Once we get into the program, we don't even know 100% how to organize the program. So ESCO has been at the heart of that for decades. And now we're starting to have more contractor training programs. We're having more distributor training programs. And so ESCO is actually starting to help supply those programs with the content and the resources that they need. That's actually how I met ESCO. So ESCO is the largest provider of certifications in the industry. So between the student certifications and the technician certifications and the educator certifications, ESCO has done about 2.2 million certifications since the wow. in the 90s. That is an astronomical number that most people don't even know, but that's who we are. So when I transitioned into a distributor, I worked for a, a I worked for a Johnstone Supply, a large group of Johnstone Supplies, and I did dealer onboarding. I did technician training. One of those things that I did was preparing students for their EPA 608, and that is one of the primary certifications at ESCO. So ESCO builds all of the things that the educator needs. So here I was and coming into the program. What 608 is all about yes. just so people get there. Absolutely. So everyone that every technician that is handling regulated refrigerants are required by the EPA under the Clean Air Act to have their Section 608 of the Clean Air Act for working with refrigerants for recovering and for charging systems. 609 if you're into automotive. So the 608 is a fundamental requirement for all technicians. And you can't work under other people's license. It's not even a license. It's a certification. But you'll hear that term a lot. And it's just a certification. But it makes sure that you are prepared to work in the industry. So it's like step one, right? So we're going to learn some basics about the equipment, but if you're even going to touch it, 
you got to be certified. And so ESCO has this entire PowerPoint presentation. So I came into the classroom. I knew I needed to teach technicians. And here, I'm going to teach you all kinds of advanced stuff because I know that stuff pretty well. But the basics eh, may not be the best at. And so then they have this, you know, like 342 uh, slide presentation for teachers to use in the classroom. And they have the training materials that goes along with it and the assessment. So it was a bundle deal. And I went, man, (laughs) that's what I need. So that's what I did. Uh, Back in 2018, I jumped on board. I started doing ESCO material. And in 2022, when I came on board for ESCO, one of the very first things that I had the privilege to do is to revise the EPA 608 PowerPoint presentation, which will be released here in the very near future. And along with some e-learning courses. So it's that whole circle. I met ESCO and as I evolved, like 2019, I went to the HVAC Excellence Conference for Education, the National HVACR Education Conference, and I was hooked, hook, line, and sinker. And that's what started it. So that that is a heck of a show because you and I were there last year together. Mm-hmm. And that's where we talked about doing this, actually. Yeah. Um, what is, is ESCO an acronym for something or was it, and then it's just ESCO now? Or how, yeah, what is so originally it was an environmental services company. So okay. it was about educating for, you know, the environmental awareness and education on HVAC uh, equipment and industries. And so it turned into the ESCO group because it had so many different aspects of what we were doing. So yeah. you have the ESCO Institute, which is all the educational content and curriculum for educational programs. You have HVAC Excellence, which is the separate accrediting body for programs. So we have a whole separate team of people that are just on the HVAC Excellence side. And that's all they do is, you know, we're talking about school administrators. We're talking about, you know, people who have spent their life designing programs for schools and for states. And so we're talking about educators that are going out and doing the valuation of programs. We have things like the uh, Green Mechanical, which is a, you know, a, it's more of a society, but it's a group of different components of the industry, different associate trade associations and manufacturers that focus on the green awareness side of our industry. We have the Carbon Monoxide Safety Association. So a variety of little pieces that all come together for the ESCO group. And so we all have our individual um, attributes for what ESCO does. So I'm on the ESCO Institute side. Uh, I'm I'm fortunate to be able to travel with the HVAC Excellence crew once in a while to go look at programs and, and, you know, participate at that level. Uh, But there are, yeah, there's different pieces of ESCO group. That's why a lot of people don't know ESCO because they only know like one piece and they don't know the like umbrella of what ESCO has been for all these decades since the 90s. Well, I mean, I'm in the industry and I didn't know, so I'm sure that there's other people that were kind of curious as well. But thank yeah. you for that, because, right. you know, I think what what you slash they are doing uh, is more important now than ever, yeah. um, because it's so refreshing uh, to hear when I'm talking to people or reading magazines or there was a piece in the New Yorker magazine last week about skilled trades and how Mm -hmm. people uh, are embracing, realizing the need for. So when, when I read it in the New Yorker, I thought, holy crap, we, this has really become mainstream. If if that publication is carrying an article on it. So exactly. 
I, I think that that's a good sign. Um, you know, it's, they always say it's the darkest right before daylight. So uh, <laughs> maybe the dawn is cracking soon. I, I believe um, it is. But so many groups like you are doing so much uh, to to create the awareness and to yes. perpetuate the awareness. It's all good. So thank you all for doing what you're doing. Um, I, I just, I, I love the, uh, educational piece because I'm such a proponent of, you know, let, let's say that you become an HVAC technician or a refrigeration technician. To me, that's the freaking start of your life. That <laughs> yeah, is that's, not, that's not the mountaintop. It's not the plateau, right? Yeah. You know, excellence is a word that I love. Yeah. Um, Tom Peters taught me the word excellence a long time ago. And um, I love reading what Tom wrote about excellence for so many years. Um, I'm sad that he retired this year um, from writing. Um, but God, he gave us a lot of good stuff on quality and excellence and now and yes, and all of those attributes to me that that help us get to where we want to go. Um, you know, how it, like if you're having a crappy day, and you're just trying to get through and do the best you can that day, there's got to be something that says, no, go ahead and do that one more thing. Just, just one more thing. More. And um, Dan Clapper, a guy we've had on the program recently, he's got a new, basically a platform of 10%, you know, just give 10% more. And I, I love the, you know, I don't even know if this is a damn word or not. I hear it now. Positivity. I never I have heard thought that. <laughs> that that was a word in life until we made it a word. Right. Um, but I love that that feeling that that word evokes is is just a little bit more. You know, it, there there's so many things that that happen in life. Um, this this past weekend, lost a dear friend uh, who I worked with. Well. It was not uh, unexpected. It was a long, long-term illness. But, you know, reflecting back yesterday when we got the word from his wife uh, that he had passed. And he passed in his sleep, which is probably the best thing anyone yeah. could want. Young guy, 58 years old. Um, it, it, I don't know, man. You just get those feelings. And uh, I kind of lost my train of thought because I went emotional <laughs> and I didn't mean to. Hey. That's what um, we're here for. Let's <laughs> be real. You know, he's a real dude, uh, mm. which and, and I just love the the grounding of, of realness. So anyway, all right, back on track. Sorry. <laughs> if you only knew how many rabbit holes I go down in a day, buddy. <laughs> well, my, my brain works like that anyway, so it's yeah. not um, uncommon to go down a rabbit hole. No, but, um, not at all. When you when you lose people that are important that make a difference, you know it's hard to say who makes a difference, who doesn't, who makes a difference in in your world. Um, just like, dang, why did they have to, you know, go so early when they were one of the good guys? But uh, anyway, I digress on that. So, <laughs> but, all right, <laughs> you know, it does bring a good point. People ask me all the time, you know, who are my mentors? in that time frame, you know, who were those people for me? And I honestly, I really had one. I had one primary mentor. So at that time, it was my father-in-law. So I'd married into a family business and I was there for a long time. I was there for quite a few years after we even divorced. Um, 
because we had such a good relationship, but he was a, a mentor of work and of life. And I think we all have that responsibility. You know, we, we talk about these relationships that we have and how important it is to have these relationships and be able to have people to mentor from, well, what about us that are starting to get a little bit older? Isn't it our responsibility to become mentors as well? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, I've said this before Clifton and I so believe this to be true. If everyone in the trades would grab a kid by the arm and walk them across the threshold, we would be in such better shape than we're in. Just, just one that, just one kid, one one young person, one veteran returning. Yeah. And so if every trades worker did that, um, it, it would just be it would be incredible. And mm. yeah, I was thinking about that this weekend. Uh Steve Turner, a guy who runs this program called Bring uh Bring Back the Trades. Yep. Um or skilled trades. I, I forgot which one it is. I'll think of it in a second. Um <laughs> Bring Back the Trades, that's what it is. Yeah. You know, the guy started his whole effort because he runs a an upholstery shop, automotive upholstery, and he was trying to hire, you know, people that were interested in coming in to work with him, to apprentice under him. Right. Now now Steve's old enough to where he's probably thinking about, okay, what am I going to do next? And had somebody been there, they would be ready to step in to take over, you know, feasibly take over his company and that's what worked out but building that pipeline of talent you know having that person uh on hand and available right beside you and learning in real life of of how to do the trade is one thing but being there with those young folks as they're going through life with you on the job is just as important as teaching them the angle of how to calculate the angle of the pipe or whatever you're trying to do. Um, Cause I I think about it, man, when, when I was an apprentice, I had some incredible journeymen that I worked under. Some were complete a-holes to work for me uh, on the work part. Cause they, you know, back in the day, you did some crap to apprentices that you can't get away with anymore. (laughs) But, um, when when it when it really mattered and and I had a real question about life stuff that maybe I wasn't comfortable going to my parents with or whatever, right. um, or or friends, you know those guys and and uh, they were there because you could ask them a, a real question and they would give you a real answer, right. unfiltered, hard, honest truth, absolutely. And I think that, yeah, I learned how to calculate the distance between two pieces of pipe on a 45 degree angle. That was important. I knew how to make the measurement. But I also knew that when I got in trouble, I always had them to fall back on as a, and I, I use this word, a, a truth detector. Right. Because <laughs> you, you know, as a young man, you can tell your stuff or you can tell yourself about anything and make yourself believe it. You know, absolutely. Like we, like you, you, if you repeat the fallacy long enough, it becomes truth. <laughs> but having those truth, those BS filters in your life is so important. And I think that that's what a true apprenticeship is all about, is is the skills and the human side. And if 
if we could all just grab one by the arm and walk them across the threshold of helping them get there, God, we would be so far ahead. And that's what I focus my life on. I mean, I, I, I became, a, I think I was a good technician. I was a good service contractor. And then I had the opportunity to give back and, and not just give back, but learn how to correct my own bad mistakes that I learned along the way. So then not only was I giving back what I had learned, I was giving back the experiences of correcting myself and being humble enough to go, Hey, I thought I was good, but I really wasn't very good. So no matter how hard you work at becoming a good service technician, you may not be doing everything right. Let's look at the things. Let's assess ourselves. Let's allow other people to assess us, to see where we are. And that self-assessment, we learn so much about the things that we need to gain better experience in. And that is really what I've gotten to at this point in life is checking myself and helping other people learn how to check themselves. Well, that's, that's strong. Um, And there's nothing like making yourself better by preparing to teach because you don't want to teach anything that's inaccurate. And um, it makes you a better mentor when you're teaching because you have enough uh, wherewithal to go make sure you're teaching the truth. And that helps everything. It helps you as a person. Uh, it helps the apprentice or, or mentee. Um, I don't know. It's such good stuff. I, I, I love the mentor. And I don't know why, but I always felt like this weird thing was associated with that word, you know, mentor, mentee. Um, it just had this weird stigma. It was like it had to be like proper and in a box and it had to look like this, but it really doesn't, man. It can be any kind of relationship, you know, that, that you have our, our church uh, is looking for some mentors to help some people, uh, some uh, kids that are going from high school or uh, middle school to high school. Sure. And just, just given those uh, boys and girls, just a different perspective. And my wife and I are talking about it. Um, you know, it, could we do the commitment? Because there's a certain time frame on certain days. So you have to, you know, really be calibrated uh, around their schedule. But it, it's so refreshing to know that it doesn't have to be this weird, overly complicated program. It can just be grabbing a kid, going to get a, you know, a cup of coffee or soft drink or whatever. And just having a freaking conversation about life that they can't have with anybody else. You know, they, they can't open up to their friends about it because they look squirrely. They can't tell their, their parents about it because they're their parents. But, you know, people would tell a damn stranger the randomest stuff <laughs> so true. without even really a whole lot of prompting. And um, <laughs> I think if you can do that for somebody, young, old, or, or whatever, uh, that that relationship of mentor mentee can can really be tweaked to what works for that situation and not this textbook perfect world you know uh, Ivy League scenario of what a mentor mentee has to look like. So I hope people know that and and invoke that. You know, Let's, I don't know. I know you're right on. And so I do a fair amount of time studying generational changes. It's basically looking at how education and social acceptance has changed over like the last 50 to 60 years. 
And if we look at how generations approach mentorship and approach apprenticeship, there is a there's a bit of change in the way that we perceive those relationships, right? So if we look at particularly our two youngest generations, right? If we look at Z and Alpha, they are much more willing to communicate personally than some of the previous generations, like our exes, myself. So we have to be able to actually open ourselves up for communication. Because if we think about those relationships that you and I had, right? Some of those were fairly tough relationships. Our mentors, you're right, you you said it. Some of our mentors were not exactly the friendliest of people right. when it comes to relationships. Right. And that came with our generations. And I, 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 I tend to separate us in that area. When we look at what happened when we started moving into, even millennials kind of touch it a little bit, but definitely when we start looking at Gen Zs and impressively with Alpha, the willingness to communicate is very advanced. So the lack of communication really falls on us. And so we have this ability to form much tighter bonds and much tighter communications and much better education than what we've actually seen in previous generations. So where the difficulty lies is kind of retraining our brains that it's okay, that people want to have these conversations. These, they want to be mentored. They want to be shown how to do things right. And they want to be recognized for doing those things properly. You and I, if we, we wanted to be recognized, but it didn't always happen. We, we, we tend yeah, to get, yeah, we got the comeback tomorrow. Yeah. We, or we got the tar and feather treatment, right? <laughs> we, we got put on the spot and shown what we didn't do right in front of everyone instead of embracing the things that we actually did right. So we have an opportunity to change the entire perception of what mentorship looks like, starting with our mentors stepping up, showing our vulnerability a little bit and going, you know what? Technology's changed. That's the biggest vulnerability right now is that technology has changed so fast in our industry that we have a, a slight amount of discomfort in teaching a younger generation because we know a lot of the fundamentals. We know how things work, but when we get into technology, they actually have an advantage over us. And so that sometimes creates a discomfort in communication. And if we can break that barrier, if we can break that discomfort and go, you know what? Young lady, young man, I have some things that I would like to teach you. You're probably going to teach me some things along the way, but I have a lot of things to teach you, not just on the technology side, but just in life and, and just being productive in general. And so the, the opportunity now for that partnership between the mentor and the mentee I don't know that we've ever had this opportunity in society before. If it has, it's been a very long time. It's not been within the last 50 to 60 years for sure. And I hope we embrace that. No, man, I, I think you're spot on. Yesterday I was talking to my buddy, Martin King, uh, skilled trades rescue. Great, Martin dude. King. I love him. <laughs> um, so he, he's Martin's working on some big stuff, like congressional involvement stuff around right. uh the uh, Bureau of, of Labor and Statistics misinformation 
Um, he's getting accurate data to go back to Congress with and say, you know, what you're publishing is not an accurate representation yeah. of the workforce because of how they're they're not intentionally misleading people, but their collection method is fouled up. And um, so he, he's doing some really in, interesting work on that. But we were talking of, about, um, in particular, um, the ability to to do what you just said. How how do we embrace technology uh, with the with the generational uh, uniqueness that we have? And we we talked about this more than one time here lately. But the number of, of generations that are in the workplace that we're communicating with, that we're teaching, that we're working with, and you know the the messages of how you deliver a message your words don't matter to four out of the five generations they matter to the generation you're speaking to but they all happen to be in the same room so how do you have four or five or even six well probably five um, generations and you're trying to communicate with the same message but you're having to say it in five different languages is really um I think it's awesome to have to think through that. And uh, so what Martin and I were talking about yesterday was just the, the platform and the delivery of how we communicate that. Because Martin, you know, he's he's a, a, my age. He's he's scaring 60, um, but he's a highly technical guy. He does a lot of cool stuff with with technology. Um, so he's an outlier there. But most of the people that are his age, my age, don't embrace technology because they never had to in the workplace. So to your point, um, you've got a lot of data and a lot of knowledge and a lot of these these offerings to, to give people. What's the best format to do that? And I think one of the ways, and, and you just laid it out there, is to ask for help in communicating that message. And you know, do you want it in microburst? Do you want like you want me to give you how to do this compressor work in forty-seven one-minute emails? I mean, what what do you want? How how is the best way to communicate the message? And you know, to Martin's point, it's hard for him to get across his message in short-form media because it's an in-depth topic. So we talked about yesterday, like, do you do? snippet videos to drag people interest uh, that are interested in where they're prepared for a longer video to watch or how, you know, just, it doesn't matter how, what we were talking about, what matters is that we were talking about it and that, you know, it is something to be considered of how we communicate those messages. Yeah. It's a learning curve. <laughs> it, it is. It's a changing learning curve. It, and it's like, uh, you know, what's the adage? We're, we're learning uh, how to fly the plane while we're taking it off or whatever. There's some mm -hmm. some airplane reference to that. But yeah, it's, it's real time right now. What's working? Look at statistics. You know, we're talking about what uh, gets the impressions, what gets the hits on social. And it's people, you know, it's, it's human experiences. And, and I can I can verify that from LinkedIn post. What get the most favorable treatment are things that we showcase, either me as a person or us as a company, that involve humans doing cool stuff. 
And I think the more we can showcase humans doing more cool stuff in the trades, we get to attract more eyeballs to it. What What are your thoughts on that? hundred percent. So that's where I have been trying to focus here very recently. It, it's such a changing and evolving world. Uh, so like, let's just take for instance. So when I was back with my distributor group, I did a very successful small YouTube channel, about 4,000 subscribers, did a certain type of content. And in about a less than two year period, it did 76,000 hours of watch time. Wow. But it was focused on a particular type of training, which I still kind of do. But it was at a certain period in time where people had more free time. Is is so when we look at 2019 and 2020, I started it in 2019. When 2020 came along and COVID happened, people had more free time and people were learning more. Mm-hmm. A lot of people took advantage of that time, so it was very successful for filling a void in the industry at a particular time. The exact same tactic is not working right now because we're in a different time with a different void, a different gap. So it takes gap analysis of what our content is and what our market is because you're exactly right. You can't just focus towards one social derivative. We have different audiences we have different generations all wanting to see the same content, but in a different, a different delivery method. So it takes education on different delivery systems. And what does that look like? Depends on your audience, depends on the age group, depends on what type of social media you're using because each platform is going to be slightly different. And the way that we deliver it has to be catered towards that. And so I've had to learn a lot about that in a, in a a year, (laughs) in a short period of time. And yeah, it it really does depend on the content and who is receiving the content. It it has amazed me, uh, Clifton, the number of um, people within the trades that are on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I'll, and, and this is something Martin and I were talking about yesterday. He's not an Instagrammer, but he's trying to reach that demographic. And I said, right. dude, if you, if you have a look at Instagram, at the HVAC, the plumbing, the refrigeration, ladies and guys that are doing so well on Instagram that are in our trades, it will boggle your mind. Because it is, it's like a playground for people who want to really showcase their skills Yes, they're and how they're helping educate their peers is is phenomenal. Um, just uh, you know, a couple of guys and gals that I follow, if if you watch their content, you will become a better technician just because of what they're giving you. Um, it, it, it's remarkable, and yet here is a guy that's responsible for educating that doesn't even address that particular platform because he's got so many other platforms to figure out. It's crazy. You know what I mean? And, and, and oh, boy. That's no fault of Martin. That's just yeah. the fact that he's got so much stuff going on. How do you, how do you discern which platform to go after? Because to your point, you know, you've got that diversification of, of generations 
Instagrammers aren't on LinkedIn, who aren't on Facebook, who aren't on YouTube, who aren't on X, you know, but can you make your message neutral enough, which is a crappy word to have to use because it's like watering down the message. Yes, it is. But can you make it neutral enough to where it cascades across all platforms with enough zing and zest to capture the attention of those five? And I don't think you can. I think you have to have content that's developed for the platform. Uh, now, you may can cross X and, and Insta a little bit. Uh, you may can cross LinkedIn and Facebook a little bit, but um, you can't do all of them with one message, in my opinion. Only if it is dissected and recreated for the consumer. That's and a team of one can't do that. It's difficult. I've been trying. <laughs> and a full-time job, I'll say. Yeah, exactly. It, it is definitely a an item that needs multiple effort. I would love to see a a group of educational authorities within the industry, each focusing on a particular sector. Um, we haven't quite seen that yet. We've seen a variety of people working in different applications. Um, I'm currently expanding out the long form format as well as short form format that goes along with it. So my most recent one that I did was an 18 minute video that had a 51 second abbreviated version of that and used it as a small marketing campaign focused on particular age group of technicians. And that's been my most successful venture yet. But I'm just now learning that whole side of it, learning yeah. how does, you know, Google ads and analytics play. I've, I've studied it for years. Now it's a matter of actually applying it. So it, it is a lot of work and it's not an easy thing for one person to do. And we will, you see a, a shift in different educational platforms. We see certain types of content going one direction by a distributor of content, but it doesn't work well in others. And that's exactly why it all comes down to the content. So my primary focus has been my educators. That's so most of my effort has been dialed into content that is delivered like through LinkedIn. Yeah. It's dialed into um, ears and eyes that watch for longer periods of time absorbing content. Now, is it followed by a younger generation? Only when I break it down into shorter version right. forms and make it more fun and interactive. So it is a challenge, but somebody has to and or a group of somebody's has yep. to. We have to change our delivery. So I, I do an entire class on the delivery of content and the way different generations learn content. Take a math book. Has a math book, has math actually changed much in the last hundred years? It can't. But has the delivery of it? Yes. So all you have to do is go look at the front cover of every calculus book. Take a grade. So take 10th grade, let's whatever go, it is. Let's go with basic arithmetic. That'd be a lot easier. To put so I head. do. So I do a class and I break down six generations of content delivery of uh, mathematics and how the perception of the content has changed, how the delivery has changed for the generations. So if we don't understand the way that the consumer, because really, if we are learners, we are consumers of the content. If we don't understand how the consumer likes to receive the content, the content may not actually matter. Yeah. 
So it's about reorganizing the content. It's the same content. Math doesn't change. Arithmetic doesn't change that much. How it is designed and delivered, it has actually changed. It started changing in the 90s. And so we have to be able to look at that and know how we're marketing. I could have marketed some content to my generation, to your generation, and would have been received exactly the same way. If I market the same content to a millennial or a Z or an alpha, it's actually going to be kind of different for each one of them. Well, I think that that has been a barrier to us attracting uh, people into our workforce. 100%. Because you got a bunch of geezers like me who are retiring, but we've been the industry spokespeople. We suck at communicating. You just told us that because we got, we, we didn't have to communicate because we were being told we weren't communicating. We were listening or hear, we were listening. I don't know if we were hearing it, um, but you just defined it. We, we are not good communicators. So as it's interesting, as the boomers retire out, and I've said it a million times, I've told you, well, not a million, almost a million. I'm glad that some of us are retiring because we suck at, at recruiting. We suck at retention. We suck at doing stuff that are good for the industry, things that are good for the industry. The younger generation, to your point, does communicate well. And I think we're going to be able to increase the attraction, which is a word. Who used that, Gabby, the other day? They said, we want to attract people into the industry instead of recruit people. I don't remember who we're talking to. Um, somebody was it, we were, was it when we were on the phone with Megan? Yes, actually it was. Yeah. German Bionics, uh, cool company doing some really cool stuff in safety. Um, but we were talking about attracting versus recruiting. Sure. And it's like it's like fishing with good bait or fishing with a treble hook and hoping to snag somebody. I agree. Um, so that's going to be interesting to watch the the continued development of how we're attracting people uh, to the industry. But, um, you know, I think what you guys are doing, what you're doing in particular over there is working. Uh, you're, I, I watch your content. I have now for a little while. Um, I see it developing in, in, in real time. Um, it's It's hard to take stuff like we do and stuff like we talk about and make it sexy. It really yeah, is. You're right. But it's foundational that we do it uh, for, you know, and people, you take this how you want to, but we're, we're part of what makes human comfort and human sustainability go, you know, because without our workforce, it gets hot and sweaty in a damn hurry. Absolutely. Um, and people don't want to be hot and sweaty anymore. But I mean, look at that building, Gabby's sitting there right now. You can't open that window. Nope. Right. So you got to have it, uh, you, and we've got to figure out how to continue to attract. And I, I see, I'm looking at the clock, Clifton. I can't believe it's top of the hour already. But, uh, <laughs> I love it. They can talk I, as long like, as you want. I <laughs> well, it, you know, it's so important that we continue to have these these light bulbs go off in, in different little sectors of what we're doing because it's important to figure out for every person if we're gonna if if, if a skilled person 
or a not skilled person that has a kid that's skilled, that wants to be a skilled person, how do we communicate that and how do we make it cool to be part of what we're doing? And that takes, it takes some smart people to do it. Um, luckily, I know some. Uh, I won't put myself in that category, but guys like you and ladies like you that are out there making a difference, uh, we just got to keep showcasing that. We got to keep tweaking it. We got to keep, you know, rolling with what's current and not what worked in 1969 because that shit don't work anymore. Well, I mean, we think about that. You know, one of the biggest complaints that I hear from educators is, I just can't communicate with this generation. And it can be a different, it doesn't matter what generation it is. I mean, if we think back a hundred years, I'm sure educators a hundred years ago had the exact same conversation. So who were the successful educators and the successful communicators? The ones that were willing to adapt their own communication skill set. Yep. So well said. Um, When we, we had Kim Scott on the author on here recently and, she she kept she didn't keep saying this i kept hearing this in my head ringing that it doesn't matter what the words are when they leave your mouth it matters what they are when they reach the ear of intention wow that's powerful there well i mean it's so true and hers happened to be on on radical candor which is the book that we're talking about but it's so true in any any format if you think about HVAC or plumbing or whatever we're talking about. It's the same thing. I've got to tell you in the words where you can hear it. I can't tell you in the words that I'm trying to say it because they're different. Just think about that. You hit it right on the nail. What words are we saying? We're probably saying the words that we hear. Right. Absolutely. And we we have have to to adapt. Yes, absolutely. My favorite movie, one of them, Heartbreak Rich, Adapt, Adjust, mm-hmm. and Overcome. Oh, boy. So, That's it. And you have to do that, uh, especially in communicating. So, all right. I will quit rambling. Uh, Gabby always has a hot date for lunch, and I know that her lunch <laughs> hour is coming up. What are you laughing at? That's true. Yeah, I, I, I have pudding today, so... well Clifton it's been uh, everything that I was hoping it would be and probably much more uh, of getting to talk to you I hope that you'll consider coming back and maybe you know tell us how uh, this upcoming session goes at the ESCO you want to plug that what what you got yeah so in March we have every year we have the National HVACR Education Conference. So this year, the conference is going to be, let me pull the exact date just to make sure I'm saying this right. I think I know when it is. March 25th through the 27th. Yep. You can learn more about that at escogroup.org and just select conference. You can learn about anything that we talked about today. If you want to learn about certifications, hey, what was that guy talking about with certifications? There's yep. a tab for certifications. If you want to learn about accreditation? There's a whole section on accreditation and schools across the country that are HVAC excellence accredited. We can talk about the relationships with UA. We can talk about training. We can talk about e-learning, but definitely that conference. <laughs> so with the conference this year, we had, uh, I think there was 1,030 educators. 
somewhere along that ring, uh, typically six to 700. So we had a pretty significant uptick in interest of educators, and we had hundreds of first-year educators coming to look for resources. So that's what we do, is we provide resources. We have over 80 different classes scheduled this year. We had hundreds of applications of educators. Um, We only had enough slots to fit in 80. (laughs) So uh, there's a lot to learn at the conference, a lot of people to meet. I think that's a great sign for what, is happening in the industry and people becoming more aware. Um, And you know, what's really cool to me about the conference is it is at the South point uh, casino. I've been to Vegas too many times in my life. I don't, I'm not a Vegas person anymore. I don't drink anymore. I don't gamble anymore. Just a lot of stuff I don't do anymore, which the, the strip uh, just is, it's just not where I go. What's cool about the South Point is you can have all of that with a short cab ride, but if you're you not immersed you're in not it. tied to it. That's exactly right. right. I love it down there. Um, that's run by a, a great family as well. Um, they, they've been doing this a long time. Uh, so anyway, great. I encourage anybody that is interested in education, regardless of what topic, go that's look right. at this thing because it's really so well done. Um, I'm already registered. Nice. The, the the fee for it is stupid cheap. It doesn't <laughs> it's not affect budgets. Yeah, it's not one of those you got to go beg to your boss for money for. It's stupid yeah. cheap. So, um, without with 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 having said all that, I, I'm uh, I'm thrilled you were with us. I really do appreciate you taking time. I look forward to continuing to follow. Uh, I know I'll see you in March in person oh, out yeah. there. So we'll have a ball. Um, but that's it, Gabby. Um, we talked a lot today and we didn't include you very much. I feel a little bit guilty. That's quite all right. I, you know, I'm a talker, but I also, sometimes it's nice to just sit back and listen. (laughs) I hear you. That makes, that makes Tuesday. It looks like a Monday, but it's really a Tuesday easier. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, take us to the house with this thing. Absolutely. Well, as Greg said, Clifton, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, As for everyone else, thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Straight Outta Crumpton. Please subscribe to either Spotify or Apple Podcasts for more episodes like this. And don't forget to check out gregcrumpton.com for all of your Greg Crumpton content. (laughs) 